Hi, everyone. My name is Shannon Calder, licensed therapist, and I'm joined by Dr. Kathy Barrett, forensic psychologist. We talk about all topics from a psychological perspective. Welcome to Tara Talk. Hey, everybody. This is Tara Talk with Shannon and Kathy. Hi. Hello. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the Twilight Zone. And then when we get into specifics, we chose four episodes, two of my favorites and two of Kathy's favorites. And we'll go a little bit more into the psychology of each of those episodes. You know what I find, actually, and I rewatched several now because you can watch them mm-hmm. on what? Hulu, Hulu has them all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hulu has four or five seasons is what I saw, but I don't know if they have more than that. They probably do. Um, I What I realized in doing and prepping for this episode is that Twilight Zones are pretty have pretty simple messages. They do. And that's so charming they do. <laughs> for 1960 <laughs> you know like or whenever season two was 1960 but anyway i like the twilight zone i do too and I, I i grew up on it um whether it was my brothers watching reruns or my dad watching it mm-hmm. i've always found it to be just creepy enough but in like a really intelligent way mm-hmm. and so i think some of the major themes that we see when we're watching the show that come up in the episodes are um, psychosis, paranoia, superstition, suburban nightmares, and just the concept of time. Yeah. Um, seem to be, and it's, it's like a, it's like a, a combination of science fiction and reality and horror kind of all tied together. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really like so much around the human condition and fear and how the Twilight Zone really addresses like some of our deepest, darker, f- darkest fears, mm-hmm. um, because there's constant themes about loneliness, mm-hmm. being stuck in oneself, or like the inability to decipher reality from fantasy. And you don't need to be someone with a chronic mental illness to experience this. This is like the root of neuroses of the human condition are some of these fears. And I think that when the Twilight Zone was written and directed in the 60s i think they were pretty um progressive for that time absolutely i mean i think that you know an anthology television series like that that spoke to the audience and he was rod serling was so iconic oh my gosh in his creation of this and then also his voiceovers and i don't know it it it, obviously it made a made an impression it did and and there's a reason why um when people talk about it now, it still stands the test of time. Um, and one of the episodes that we'll talk about that that you liked that we watched, um, I think was also really progressive too about um, just the concept of beauty and vanity and mm-hmm. things like that, which really is a big part of our society now. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things I realized and I haven't, I am in the middle of a rewatch because I never watched the episode. You know, when I was a kid, you didn't watch the episodes in order necessarily. And right. I, and I wasn't watching them live in 1960, of course, right. but I, you know, you just watched whatever the reruns were. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like law and order now mm-hmm. <laughs> where you just, you're not watching them in order. You're just kind of watching whatever's on on a Sunday. And that's how I watched the twilight zone originally, but watching them in order is fascinating. Um, and I, it couldn't be any more relevant to right now. 
Agreed. <laughs> Isolation. Agreed. <laughs> Sitting it, inside yourself. Yeah. Like, it, like who programs this show? There's that's, a, there's that's an episode, a good idea. We didn't watch this episode, but there's an episode where this this older guy wakes up after the apocalypse and mm-hmm. he has his, a pair of glasses and all those. It's like the library episode. I don't yeah. know if you remember that one. Yeah. And I feel like there's so many episodes right now that I think people that are so relatable. But yeah. I can totally recommend this show right now in all of the binging because yeah, because yeah. the thing about it is that there's always a moral. Yep. There's always like an unexpected twist. There's often like a macabre theme going, but there's always, well, I can't say always cause I haven't watched them all yet, but there's almost always a moral and, um, moral TV, like moralistic TV with a message mm-hmm. is not as common. No, no. <laughs> and I think now it's always, um, it, it's always saturated and they have to like throw in sex and violence and mm-hmm. stuff to keep people's attention where, at this time, it, this was scary. The psychological right. pieces were were just enough. One, you weren't allowed to do what what you can now. Mm-hmm. But then also, that was enough to scare people because they hadn't been jaded and numbed by all the stuff that we've seen now. So this um, article that I found called "The Twilight Zone and the Human Condition" by a woman named um, Elion Mitchell, uh, philosophy talk. It's out of a I don't know if it's just an online blog or a paper, but she um, she writes this. She says, as J.W. McCormick writes in the New York Times, uh, the, the New York Review of Books, the show's most prevalent themes distill to the following. This is where it really, I think, gets into the collective fears, the collective unconscious, as well as just our own individuals. You are not what you took yourself to be. You are not where you thought you were. And beneath the facade of mundane America, American society lurk, lurks a cavalcade of monsters, clones, and robots. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, if there's anything that really speaks to even technology now. So I think that there's so much irony in the fact that here we are 50 years later watching this show, 50 plus years later, um, and the, the idea of monsters in a different way. You know, we talk about monsters when we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein, when we're talking about, you know, there's that, um, the robots being technology and the clones, oh my gosh, representing so many things from (laughs) science to social media. And then she goes about to say, the Twilight Zone is well known for its twist endings. But for this, he writes, we should not mistake it as espousing a chaotic vision of the world. Rather, the show explores issues of the human condition and even lives by a kind of ethos of cosmic order, social justice, and benevolent irony. In each episode, these elements often deliver truths and new lights about the world that the protagonists live in. Yeah, I mean, the themes of government, war, society, racism, yeah. all, all of that's in there. Um, yeah, it really tackles it. And, and you're right, I think there's five seasons that ran originally on CBS mm-hmm. from 59 to 64. And there are five seasons. On yeah. Hulu, they're all so. on Hulu. So, and then the other piece just real quick is um, just, we talked about the concept of fear. So fear is a feeling induced by perceived danger or threat. And so the fear response arises from the perception of danger leading to confrontation with or escape from avoiding the threat, mm-hmm. which in extreme cases of fear can be a freeze response or paralysis. And so this, I would say when I watch this as a kid, as a kid and even now, it, it's fear inducing mm-hmm. that the, because there is so much um, you're left thinking about when these episodes are over. 
Yeah, that's that moral piece of it, right? It's mm-hmm. like um, even just yeah, just rewatching these uh, these episodes that we chose. It was like they're so short compared to like the binging that we do these I days know. and these long documentaries and things that we watch. It was just like wow, you're just like twenty five right there. Like, I think my my so one fast. episode was a little bit longer. Okay, um, but they're mostly twenty five, twenty seven minutes. So fast. And that's fast for, I think, us now, because even with, you know, 30 minute shows, we can watch 12 of them at once if we want to. You can literally sit all day. But like to just every, you know, Friday night, sit down to your television with your family to watch 25 minutes and go like, wow, and then have a discussion maybe about whatever Mm -hmm. it was. Uh, It's just such a different cultural context. There's been some revivals. Um, Have you watched the Jordan Peele? I haven't watched the revival. Mm -hmm. I haven't either. Maybe we could do a follow up episode at some point. I know when they first first came out, you had to purchase the season. I don't think I had access to it right away, but um, I certainly would buy it just to watch it. There's two seasons, I guess, right now for his. So Jordan's series premiered April 1st, 2019 on the CBS All Access, I believe. Um, Yeah. So I'd like to watch that because I am a fan of Jordan Peele's. Um, Maybe we could do a follow-up on that. But there were a couple of other revivals. I mean, there's been theme park attractions. There was a a revival on CBS in the 80s um, for The Twilight Zone. And there was also one in the early 2000s on UPN. So the Twilight Zone movie is also really great. Yeah. So there's some other, like, stuff. And it's the, um, talk about fear, that movie is like the extended version of, of the episode with the the monster on the airplane wing. Yeah, oh my gosh. So yeah. it's a good, that's a good one. And is it Jeff Daniel? Who's the... Um, I don't remember. Let me find it right now. Uh, the movie was from 1983. Mm-hmm. And um, John Lithgow. John Ugh. Lithgow plays the I role. I remember that now that you said yeah. so vividly. That is a terrifying episode mm-hmm. that they, they extend on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can even look up just that. Dan Aykroyd, John Lithgow. There's a lot of really great people in the in the movie. Um, there are so many things in these Twilight Zone, uh, Twilight Zone episodes that have inspired filmmakers. So yeah. as you watch the... And this is widely kind of on lists of like the 60 greatest episode, you know, shows of television of all time type, type of thing. This is often on the list twilight zone so you can just you can watch through these they're black and white and and just sort of understand so much uh origin of inspiration for filmmakers these days i think i do too it's just so cleverly done and you didn't have to fill it in with all the stuff that they fill movies in with now and i think that's why it has stood the test of time is because it's just intelligently written very there's no there's no um there's no trend as far as like sometimes when we watch horror films or sci-fi films, it, it depends on the decade you're in of whether it really translates to now. Mm-hmm. But this this is just the human condition and that isn't going to change because 50 years have passed. Fears are fears. Yeah, the, they're all there. The par- You know, because they're like allegories, parables mm-hmm. for the human condition and, and social justice, social issues, current events. I mean, I think there are episodes in here that are very relevant to the things that are happening right now. Yeah. Um. So since you mentioned it, maybe we could start with uh, season two, episode six is mm-hmm. called The Eye of the Beholder. Mm-hmm. 
Um, the idea behind it is that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, it's done in a incredibly clever way. <laughs> um, where there is a woman who has been gone into a hospital for a procedure and her face is, she's in a hospital bed and her face is completely covered in bandages and she talks through the bandages pretty well. <laughs> um, and is speaking to her doctors and her nurses and you never, you don't see their faces and nobody's face is in this episode until the last two minutes or whatever, five minutes of it. Uh, you don't see anybody's face. It's completely shot with either her covered up or everyone else's limbs, <laughs> basically. And then um, the twist is that when they uncover her face, she's been worried the whole episode about the procedures working and for her to look normal and for her to blend in to society and how um, she's been, you know, a monster all her life and she just wants to fit in. And how human is that? Just wanting to fit in, just wanting to find people that are like you um, and that accept you for who you are. And then the bandages come off and she is one of the most gorgeous women you've ever oh seen God. in your life. Yeah, <laughs> really. <laughs> and then they show the faces of the doctors and nurses and they look like aliens got a hold yeah. of their face, Alien basically pigs. distorted. As far as humans are concerned, they yeah. look like um, the human representation of a pig. Um, and that's the moral of the story is that the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And she freaks out because the procedure didn't work. She's still beautiful. She still looks like um, a monster to them. Mm -hmm. And then they find her a place to go, an island of ugly people. And then, so the person, the representative from the island of ugly people comes, and it's the most gorgeous man in the world you've ever seen to come and pick her I, up. I mean, they really did find, like, two of the most beautiful people <laughs> on the planet to do this episode, because he shows up, and I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and that's the point, right? Yeah. You can imagine the casting call. You are the most beautiful person on the planet to represent. <laughs> the most beautiful person on the planet. <laughs> the ugliest person on the planet, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the, talk about irony. Yeah. Uh, and what we deem to be beautiful and what we deem to be um, an outcast or ugly or unfortunate. And, and, and then this desire to fit in and to the point where this person will go under however many procedures. And the other big piece, too, is it almost appears like when the doctors are talking how they're really trying to do this for the greater good, too. Like society rejects her for being this way and, and how, how that's such a representation too of marginalization and, and um, we wish we could help you. We're sorry you weren't born with this privilege kind of thing. And during it as well, there are these pro the, there are these broadcasts of their leader and it's very Hitler-esque. Oh yes. Uh -huh. And then, so there's this leader on the television that they're listening to every now and then um, that is very Hitler-esque about fitting in and following and that we all must be the same and all of that. So that in 1960, obviously, that was a direct rip from history to add a weight to it as well. It, almost in a way of like, we, we want to fix you so you don't become a target of, yeah. Yeah, like homogenization, like be the same so that you don't stick out so that you can 
be like everybody else. And, you know, the thing, one of the things I kind of liked in the end was that they were like, here, we're going to ship you off to this place, you know, Misfit Toys or whatever Mm -hmm. this place. But there was a part of it where there was this moment, and I was probably projecting, but there was this moment where she gets introduced to the guy, the representative that's come to get her, and they look at each other, and they look, you know, similar, right? They have, they do not have pig features. No. And they, and I could, it was like this moment where it's like, oh, maybe it won't be so bad because I'm going to go be with people that like me and accept me. But that's the very, like, basis of segregation. Mm-hmm. That's, like, the very nature. But I felt her comfort, too, mm-hmm. in that moment of, like, maybe I don't have to feel like a horrible person for the rest of my life because there are people that love and accept me. So there's this, so that again, that's, that's Rod Serling talking about social justice. And, and if you find comfort in that, that's extremely human. Cause it's like, there is comfort in being with the same people who are the same as you. Yeah. And, and I thought it was interesting too, that the doctor at one point starts to get really frustrated and kind of breaks down. Like, why does she have to be just like us? And he's sort of speaking for the, the, that privileged individual who's like, I'm part of the problem because I'm forced to quote unquote fix her, but this is ridiculous. And and she doesn't have to look like us. And then the nurses and the other doctors who quote unquote kind of have sympathy for her because, you know, and is that the way that we looked at, look at minorities too, is a sense of pity I feel so sorry for you for not being us. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. Just as we're talking about it, I'm thinking, you know, if you just went and watched this, it, it kind of looks simple, like what we were saying at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like, the, like the episodes can be simple for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can watch they Twilight Zone. can just be Zone. creepy. Yeah. You can watch Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. and the moral can be quite simple. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and... Yes. <laughs> but then, you know, as we discuss, it's like there's there's layers there. There's a lot of depth um, to the social commentary that's happening. And then we're seeing it from the POV of 2020 mm-hmm. and we're reading even more in. Mm-hmm. So just like with any good work of art, whatever was intended, if what it was intended was relatively simple, you're going to have many layers that can be read in by your viewers. So, yeah. It's definitely true of this one because it's a simple episode. It is. It's got a very simple structure. Um, yeah. Okay. You want to mention one of yours? Yeah. So I'll go to season four. I, I can't remember what episode it is, but the it's called The New Exhibit. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, a museum worker played by Martin Balsam takes a set of wax figures into his home where they begin to show the homicidal tendencies of the famous murderers they depict. So I think like Jack the Ripper's one of them. Mm-hmm. So this episode, he's living with his wife. And they have a, geez, sorry. This, I think it's like his basement that he turns into the, that, that has been used as a wax museum. Mm-hmm. And his boss um, finds out that basically somebody's going to buy them out. So he's been asked to, get ready to ship these wax figures out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main character played by Martin Balsam, I can't remember his name right now. He ends up becoming obsessed with these characters. So 
he starts off as like just this ordinary guy who this is his job, but he falls prey to this unhealthy obsession. And what ends up happening, and you don't really know, it's kind of left for room for interpretation, is when no one is around, these statue, these wax figures sort of move on their own, just <laughs> yeah. into like a different position. Mm-hmm. But as the as the episode progresses and he's really he talks to them like you you have to stay tame you, you have to behave yourself like you can't hurt my wife you can't hurt my boss he's these wax figures um start to kill them off every time they go down into the into the basement yeah i mean just bringing them home is creepy enough <laughs> just bringing them home is creepy enough and then you know the boss goes down there and he, he goes down to check on check on him and the boss has been like axed by jack the ripper and then the wife goes down there and <laughs> the wife is cre- creeped out to begin with yeah who wouldn't be and um really i think the takeaway <laughs> the brother f- shows up and gets killed yeah i mean everyone just starts getting taken <laughs> out so clearly he starts to feel the sense of relatedness with these um and becomes overly obsessed and very possessive over them and it's the only thing it's an addiction yeah. it becomes an addiction for him yeah so he ends up um you know really identifying with them and to the point where he's he's even covering up for them like his family's dying his boss is dying and he's still like it's <laughs> like ridiculous ridiculousness about it um but what you don't know and what it speaks to is whether he is having sort of a psychotic episode and actually doing this himself and at the end when the the wax figures finally do get sold off in their place somewhere else the the whole piece is like it gets over to the next figure and it's him now as a wax figure and as a murderer and um, I, I, I think to me it almost feels like a catalyst to the movie Secret Window where mm. the whole time you're watching it, you think that there are these killers happening, but then it really comes from the writer and the writer's the one who's actually doing the murdering because he becomes obsessed. But I don't know, this one just kind of messed with my head a little bit, I think, because the the wax figures, one, are incredibly creepy. And um, yeah, it's a warning to how obsessed we can become that we can actually lose relationships and lose people and you know just become i don't know um enslaved to something that we become obsessed with yeah i I think at one point he says um um they need me yes they'd be lost without me or whatever he says he um and then i think it's the wife maybe says something like they're they're not alive. They don't need anybody. <laughs> right. He's like, but wait, yes, they do. <laughs> but it's he's kind also, of like he's one of them. He way, is. You know? And he's actually incredibly, he starts to become obsessed with how an ordinary man is driven to commit the murders. So then clearly he follows suit. And yeah. He becomes and, that. and that's the twist, right? Is and that become, the he becomes the wax. Yeah. He becomes one of them. Yeah, you know, I think it's also this like social commentary on, and I think you were, this is what you were talking about too, is like being so obsessed with something that you become it. And I think Mm -hmm. that's um, an allegory for society in a way of Mm -hmm. where we can be. It's it's a shadowy concept where you can become like so obsessed with something either negatively or positively that you become it. Um, I was 
this is going to sound silly because it relates to the eye of the beholder that we just talked about. And now I'm bringing up, it's coming up in my head. So I'm just going to spit it out. I watched that movie. I feel pretty by Amy Schumer. It's like this silly movie where she, there's like this spell and she ends up thinking she's way better looking than she is. And then she goes out into the world and she feels confident and she gets the things that she wants. Mm -hmm. And it has nothing to do with how she really looks. She just now all of a sudden has the confidence to feel like she's all that. Which is a lovely thing, and that's it relates to the eye of the beholder, obviously. But there's a scene in that, and we see these in scenes all the time, uh, in movies all the time, where she's become so obsessed with being like a model type girl that works in this, um, you know, Vogue type environment that when she does have the confidence and she does get into the job, she ends up becoming shitty like them Mm -hmm. a little like judgmental there's this one scene where they show her sort of being judgmental of the people and being a gatekeeper as Mm -hmm. the receptionist and it's kind of like that and that's kind of what i read into it is it's like becoming so obsessed with wanting to be in this case it's like wanting to protect them or wanting i don't know the integrity of i don't know what his true intention is well and he becomes obsessed with how a a quote-unquote ordinary person can become Mm -hmm that and yeah. so yeah like like you're saying the more he focuses and and mm-hmm. and finds his entire purpose in that it overtakes him and and i even have a note here too about the shadow how like mm-hmm. it overtakes and the shadow sides can create sort of this dissociative piece where he no longer even knows how to separate himself yeah from these objects they're all and they're all one um, and so you don't know at the end because it really doesn't matter no. if he did it or they did it. He becomes a part of that system. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's an interesting social commentary. Yeah. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Think about the things that you are obsessed with that you really don't want to become. But by become, I mean, we see it all the time, like on something like Twitter, where you where you rail against the negative people. But what are you doing? You're railing against them, being negative against them. <laughs> It's like railing against the, you know, patriarchy in exactly the same way the patriarchy rails against you. I don't personally think is a way to go about it, but like, that's what happens. We get obsessed. Yeah. He, it, <laughs> he buries her, he buries his own wife's body down there because he's more worried about these figures getting caught and taken away than his, than own his wife, wife being dying. dead. Yeah, yeah, he's he's gone round the bend. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's a good it's a good message around addiction, obsession. Absolutely. And FYI, if you're just going to watch, if you want to go to Hulu and just watch the four episodes that we're talking about, that was season four, episode thirteen. It's called the New Exhibit, and we're going to take a break before we go into the next two. So we'll be right back. <laughs> While we take a break, go follow us on Instagram at Terror Talk Podcast, Twitter at Talk Terror, or on our Facebook page, Halloween All Year Long. If you prefer email, it's terrortalkpodcast at gmail.com. So reach out. If you like us, you can help us by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, or check out our Patreon page. We upload new episodes every Wednesday and Friday. Keep coming back, but first, stick around for more of our show. everybody we're back i have taken a creepy authentic clown slash female looking um object that i have that is actually from the 70s it was my mother's 
And I have placed it on my table, and it is now staring at Kathy. I don't like it. Because she doesn't like it. <laughs> um, if you've been a fan of the show for a very long time, you may <laughs> have picked up that I torture with Kathy with clowns. It's no, fun. All. It's fun for me. Um, well, I can turn her face so that she's not really looking at you. Profile's better. Thank okay, you. Okay, good. All right. Um, so... The episode, the other episode that I think is relevant to this young lady staring into the abyss is um, ep- season five, episode six, which is called Living Doll. So this was my favorite episode as a young Such person. Such a classic. Because it scared the crap out of me at the time. <laughs> so the premise is that a child and her mother go to the store and buy you don't see this part but they buy her a doll um and she comes home and her stepfather is there and this child is known for sort of being rejected by her stepfather and gets this doll and he is immediately a jerk (laughs) but he's just a jerk from the beginning he doesn't really have much of an arc (laughs) he he's just kind of a jerk so um this doll talks and it says my name is Taki Tina and I love you very much and that's what it says to most people however that would be enough to scare the crap out of me it scared me in the beginning too because whatever <laughs> just you know, because if you if you guys have listened before you know my stories about my talking dolls yeah it's dolls and clowns i try to torture her as much as possible so if you're with me hashtag #torture kathy okay so <clears throat> But when this stepfather is alone with Taki Tina, it says things like, my name is Taki Tina, and I don't think I like you. <laughs> That's the first thing she says. And then it works all the way up to, she says all kinds of things about hating him, and you're going to be sorry and all this, and then it works all the way up to, and I'm going to kill you. And I I have been um, uh, mimicking Taki Tina since college. Like, my name is Taki Tina and I'm going to kill you. Like it's like a thing. It's mm-hmm. been in my head for so many decades now yeah. that when we talked about doing a Twilight Zone episode, I'm like, Oh, well, Taki Tina. Yeah, Taki Tina. Yeah. And I, I just called it the Taki Tina episode. I didn't know it was called a living doll. I didn't know any of that. Um, but so yeah, it, he tries, he tries no less than 45 ways to kill this doll. So he puts it in the trash can it reappears in the house. So we've seen this in a lot of contemporary horror movies. I have no idea if this episode was the like inspiration for that, but it's certainly part of the lexicon because he tries throwing it away. He tries putting its head in a vice. He tries burning it. He tries sawing off its head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he tries putting it in a bag and wrapping a, you know, trying to strangle it and put it in a, under books and bricks and things. And, um, and, and his wife and daughter... I mean, stepdaughter mm-hmm. are like upset with him because he really doesn't want anything. To, so it feeds into the idea that he's not, he's unsupportive and he's starting to get flipped out because he's now feeling gaslighted by yes, everybody, totally. including the doll. And he thinks they're doing it to him. He does. He's, he's like, well, walkie talkies in the doll. That's very funny. Right. <laughs> you know, like he thinks that they're changing its voice. He becomes slowly more and more paranoid um yeah so what's the moral of the story <laughs> i think it's it's karma yeah 
Really? Because he's a jerk from the he's beginning. He's an asshole. And he, yeah, he's he's disconnected. He's somewhat, I don't know if I, I don't remember if he's necessarily abusive, but he's certainly emotionally shut off and. He's like flip. Yes. With the kid, you know. Yeah. And they even say in the beginning, the mom, you know, once they buy the doll, he's pissed off because they bought the doll because it's expensive. So he's just saying, like, why are you buying? You know, the mom comes in with the daughter and the doll and says, like, don't show your father. Right. <laughs> Which is an experience I've had Me in too. my lifetime. <laughs> Me too. Put <laughs> those mom, under your bed. Don't tell your dad I got you those. Yeah, my mom and I, we go shopping when I was a teenager. And, um... <laughs> And we would go in through the garage and like bring the bags into the, so that my stepdad wouldn't see the, but my stepdad was in no way like this guy. He was a a nice person. So, but, but everybody's kind of had that, that experience where they're like, well, daughters, daughters and mothers have sometimes had that experience. Um, But yeah, they even say in the beginning, like that the child, she says to him, you know, she's already feeling rejected enough by you as it all, as it is Mm -hmm. like, the doll is keeping her company or whatever, like as if the doll is supposed to, I guess, help the situation. I don't know. I was completely freaked out by this episode. It's, it's one of the scarier ones for sure. Just because I think if you grew up with dolls, I I feel like kids have less dolls these days, but, (laughs) um, or at at least the classic, well, they have American doll, that big franchise. Yeah. But that's the closest to it. They don't have so much like the China dolls anymore in the classic, like, you know, even though Talkie Tina was not, Talkie Tina was probably more like an American doll. I think some of those old dolls are what gave horror the idea of them because they look like they're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what it's supposed to be like that life, life, like creation. But then the doll proves to be like sentient and oh, it's disgusting. Also evil, much like the doll. On my desk. Unassuming. She's not unassuming <laughs> though. These like again, it's that we've talked about the uncanny valley, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like you, you're. It's so scary because it's lifelike, but it's also supposed to be delicate, mm-hmm. and then it ends up being evil. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it just like, you know, I'm as as you know, I'm a fan of the Conjuring franchise and the Annabelle. Mm-hmm. Annabelle, those movies are great doll movies. Like mm-hmm. if you're if if we ever if we ever do the Conjuring franchise on this show, it's like, um, those are great doll movies. I want to read the closing narration. Okay. Of course, we all know dolls can't really talk, and they certainly can't commit murder. But to a child caught in the middle of turmoil and conflict, a doll can become many things: friend, defender, guardian, especially a doll like Taki Tina who did talk and did commit murder in the misty region of the Twilight Zone. Now, I am not Rod Serling, so (laughs) do not judge my reading. But that's kind of the idea. They always have these closing narrations on the Twilight Zone, which tell you what to think. (laughs) Right. If you didn't get it, we're going to recap. If we didn't hit you over the head with the moral... And Taki Tina would be a hard or harder one to pick up what it's about because mm-hmm. it's just freaking spooky and scary. Yeah. But it is supposed to be about this doll protecting her because that is what's happening is like the stepdad is a jackass. And so this doll's like, I love you very much to everybody. And then to this guy, he's like, I don't really think I like you. And she doesn't say this, but it's like, I don't like the way you treat my owner. Like mm-hmm. I'm and wants to protect the daughter. So yeah. It's freaky nonetheless. Freaky. So what was your other episode? Uh, my other episode, it's a pretty 
com- uh, popular one too is called mm-hmm. The Masks, mm-hmm. and this is season five, episode twenty-five. Okay. Um, so this starts off. It takes place in New or- New Orleans on the evening of Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. So this older gentleman who's very very wealthy is mm-hmm. on his deathbed. So as his last wish, his name's Jason Foster. As his last wish. He um, calls his family to come spend Mardi Gras with him. And he, you can tell he lives like, they don't show it, but you can hear the crowds. Like he lives overlooking the festival. Yeah. And so he's incredibly wealthy and and he's about to die any moment. Mm-hmm. So his family comes and he, uh, <laughs> you're introduced to his children one, his daughter, it, who's incredibly, uh, she's a narcissistic hypochondriac, to say it <laughs> nicely. Yeah. And she's just, you know, sort of childish in, in her own way, which I think a lot of that, too, is the time that this was filmed. They always made women see, appear like 35 years younger than they were mentally. Yes. Yeah. Um, so she's she's there with her husband, and they're, they're very um, greedy. And so then the... The son is also there as well, and he's just this snob and kind of, again, kind of presents very childish because it gives you the perception that they were very spoiled. Mm -hmm. And so he has this uh, thing, you know, it's Mardi Gras, so he brings masks for everybody to wear. (laughs) And so he lays them all out on the table, and they're all really just very um, disturbing looking. They kind of look like really distorted versions of the tragedy and comedy masks that mm-hmm. you would think of in theater, uh-huh. but with a little bit more personality and to the point where there's actually a, a personality about each one of them. So he sits them all down and he says, you're all going to wear these until midnight. Um, and then you can take them off. And you know, the, the, the daughter who's actually like probably close to 40 is like, daddy, why do we have to wear these? <laughs> You know, it's just so ridiculous. So, and he's like, do it. Um, and, and so these masks are, were created by an old Cajun. And so they have certain properties about them and they have to be worn during Mardi Gras. That's the whole point. So the mm-hmm. ritual to this is that they have to pick a mask that is the opposite of the personality they have. <laughs> so he introduces the mask to his family. and He basically says like, pick the antithesis of you, you know, um, he tells them what they are, uh, what they're the opposite of. So they all choose one. So, for example, Wilfred, the daughter's husband, thinks of himself as friendly, outgoing, extroverted. So he's equipped with the mask that shows greed and cruelty. Um, and so all of this sorts of happens. So then what ends up happening at, uh, towards midnight, and as Jason starts to die, they rejoice because once he dies, they get to collect his fortune. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to be super rich. But... Uh, he, it's time to take the masks off. Dad's still alive. Time, it's time to take the masks off. And what they realize is when they take the masks off, that whatever mask they had on is now the permit. It's permanently carved into their face, <laughs> and uh, reveals what is truly the manifestation of who they are on the inside. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really, it's it's really. Uh, there's nothing incredibly deep about the episode. It's pretty straightforward. I thought it was really clever. Um, and also I, I think it's people's worst nightmare to have what they hate about themselves the most or what they're disconnected from the most to then be so explicitly, um, yeah. you know, 
dem- demonstrated on the outside. Well, right. And it's like now they have to live their rest of their lives exposed. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. that's pretty much everybody's nightmare is to wear, to wear what's inside on the outside. Yes. Um, yeah, not pleasant, but <laughs> it sounds like this, I mean... What I got from it, too, is it's like this old guy, right? This dad who it it reminds me of this movie, this more recent movie, Knives Out, which is a funny and a really great movie if you haven't seen it. But um, it's it's, you know, more like Columbo or Sherlock or whatever. But it's that idea of the patriarch wanting to expose his children's. I don't know, nastiness Mm -hmm. and and he he even verbalize it to him. He's like, oh, after all this time. You think you'd be dead by now with all the diseases you think you've had, you know, and he's talking to the daughter and she's like, what? You know, it's just so over. <laughs> but I know. but he, he, because he's so close to his death, he's so <laughs> honest and mm-hmm. he's done with it. He's done pretending to be this daddy. Right. Well, and that's what I've experienced around people who are not long for this world is they, they don't hold back. Nope. They get, they get real honest. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because it's like the people, it, even in the closing narration, they talk about um, something about uh, like that they came there to celebrate and let themselves let themselves go. I think he says, um, and I was thinking like, yeah, let yourselves go. It's more like like to let to let loose and they weren't just weren't expecting to let loose in that particular way mm-hmm. like letting themselves go is like this metaphor for exposing yourself because you do have to to survive it and to live that way forever you would have to let like yourself go you would have to let your insecurities go you would have to let um you know whatever you whatever pretension I mean, it's the very psychological concept of a persona. So we all have personas. We have a work persona. Right. We have a relationship persona. Um, We have a, you know, if you go to church, you have a church persona. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have all kinds of, um, and that doesn't mean it's fake. That doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, like this episode might um, talk more about, because that's more dramatic. But it's important to have a work persona. You don't want to just be yourself all the time at work. It's like, it's important to have these covers. It's important to have um, restraint and a way you present yourself in different environments. And that's why it's an important part of um, your psychological makeup. Cause you know, people that don't put on personas, right? We know those people and many of them are mentally ill. That's right. And can, don't have the capacity to put on that kind of persona but then we also know people who get labeled as you know free spirits or you know there's all kinds of ways we can be judgmental um and that's just because they're not putting on a persona that fits into the whatever society deems is appropriate for the environment um that's basically what it is well then you have the ones who overcorrect which are the sociopaths who wear such a great mask yeah that nobody really knows who they are absolutely Um, so i don't know there's a lot like there's a lot in the episodes if you choose to <laughs> if you choose to go down the rabbit hole and have discussions with friends like we do <laughs> cuz that's a lot of times where like when we discuss things where I am thoughtful about these in discussion so 
I think that's one of the things about Twilight Zone is that Twilight Zone could be a great discussion piece. Mm -hmm. So if you have kids or you have friends who like um, sci-fi and you want to have some kind of a Zoom activity right now during COVID or even after, you know, people that live across the country from you and you want to have an activity. I mean, I think a fun thing would be is to watch, you know, to watch a Twilight Zone episode and then have a discussion around it um, because I think there's, there are all good it's discussion deep. topics. It's deep. Yep. And that's what I have to say about Twilight Zone. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna uh, come back and do our what the hell segment. So we'll be right back. Hi, everybody. We're back from the break. This is our what the hell segment. Kathy, would you like to do the honors? Yes. This <laughs> She's one like, is. No. <laughs> um, this one's out there. Cool. I mean, it's like that sounds fun. But I mean, it's like sad too and okay. just disturbing cool so it's florida woman arrested for sex outside hospital wears a mask during her mugshot. okay <laughs> she didn't seem that concerned about exposure again mm. she's from florida oh boy <laughs> you're really florida i am not i am not trying to it's not my fault she's not <laughs> It is your fault, actually. She's busted for having sex outside a hospital, wearing a surgical mask in her mugshot amid the outbreak of the coronavirus pandemic. Mm. I'm not even going to give her name. No, don't. But she's 45. She's arrested earlier this month and charged with misdemeanors of trespassing and exposing exposure of sexual organs, as was her partner. I think that's a weird way to say it. Like, it almost like they, they got inside of her uterus. Why couldn't they just say exposure of you know her anatomy or something i don't know organs sounds weird to me um <laughs> so we have problems with the way their article's written yeah <laughs> oh here they, they finally say it here their genitals were allegedly on full display to the public during the trist genitals okay yeah gotcha. um which happened across from saint anthony's hospital in saint petersburg the outlet reported <laughs> Uh, she pled guilty on both counts and was released on March 10th for her time served. And she has previous arrests in different counties for prostitution. Shocker. Multiple arrests for possession of cocaine. Shocker. And the dude is a transient and still being held in lieu of $300. I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know what to say. What the hell? Yeah, what the hell? And like you said, kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a mental health issue. Mental health and drugs. And there's a lot of that right now, which is yeah. also sad. Um, in lighter news, in the United Kingdom, a 32-year-old 32, 32 man was jailed for three years. Why, you say? Why? Because he was found hanging upside down from a window after trying to break into the terrace house in Kent, having been caught hanging literally upside down from the window of the house he was attempting to break into, he was left <laughs> with no choice but to admit his crime <laughs> and take his punishment on the chin, said police. So, well, so I, I'm going to make up a story. The story is kay. that he was burgling the house mm -hmm. and someone came home and... In his panic to not get caught, he went out the window. 
he was hanging upside down. So think about that. Either that, he was like practicing for the circus. From his feet. (laughs) (laughs) And then what do you do? You hear the cops, you hear the people, you figure maybe they won't look out the window. Maybe. That's really scary. Imagine me like, what's yeah. my what's my option right now? Yeah. And I don't, and physically, first of all, I couldn't even do that. But I mean. That sounds like maybe he's like the circus burglar. Uh, that's what we're going to call him from now on. Okay. The circus burglar from the UK. Thank you so much for listening. You're welcome. We appreciate you, Kathy. <laughs> it's no problem at all. <laughs> we appreciate our audience. We appreciate everyone who we listens love to you guys. Kathy appreciates me for listening to her, and I appreciate her for listening to me. It's just one big festival of joy. And um, with that, you have been listening to Terror Talk. Thank you so much. This is Shannon, and I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode of Terror Talk. If you enjoyed this show, there are two things you could do for us. Subscribing and sharing our episodes on social media, as well as writing a review on iTunes. Plus, you could check out our Patreon page. Don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. We upload new episodes of Terror Talk every Wednesday and of Shrink Chat every Friday. Until then, goodbye and have a pleasant tomorrow. Tomorrow.